This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back in here to the 10 of 12 podcast. I am your host, Ryan Gilbert. Today on the show, we are going to be talking some Big 12 basketball per usual. We'll talk about what went wrong for six of the seven teams in the Big 12. We'll also talk about Baylor in the second half of the show, strictly about the Bears and what they need to do moving forward if they want to punch a ticket uh, to the Final Four. Seven teams from the Big 12 made the big dance. One remains. That, of course, is Baylor. Just a weird, weird first weekend of the Big uh, of the big Dance. I can't say I expected only one team from this conference to be moving on, and I can't say I expected the same thing out of the Big Ten. Illinois and, and Michigan, I guess Michigan's still dancing, but Illinois, Iowa, you know, all these teams are, are out of the tournament. It's just, a, it's been a crazy year, and I think that that some teams were overseeded, some teams were underseeded. We'll talk about these briefly um, in the first half of the show here on the podcast. Be sure to hit us up on Twitter, at 10of12podcast. I'd appreciate that very much. You can stay up to date with everything that's going on around the Big 12, but without any further ado, let's get right into things here. Um, second half of the show, like I said, Strictly Baylor, uh, Brady Vaughn from gradschoolsports.net will join the show to talk about the Baylor Bears and what they need to do moving forward with these next two games to get a, a ticket punched to the Final Four. Uh, but first half, we'll just talk about kind of what went wrong uh, for these six teams in the Big 12 that lost in the first weekend. But before we do that, I think we'll, we'll touch on, on Shaka Smart and Lon Kruger uh, and I guess Steve Prohm here for the heck of it. Real quick, uh, Lon Kruger, if you haven't heard, is out at Oklahoma. He is retiring. His basketball coaching career, I wouldn't say, is necessarily over. Um, I've, I've heard that he's going to go um, and, and coach it. I wouldn't say coach, but help out at UNLV. His son took a job there recently. He's got a home there. This has kind of been the plan from day one. So once his son got the job, um, I think that that's kind of what he's going to do. Is he going to be a, a real coach? I don't think so. Is he going to help out and mentor his son? Absolutely. So I'm happy for Kruger. Great guy. I'm sure that if you are a K-State fan, you know all about what he's done for the program as a player, as a coach. So certainly going to miss him in the Big 12. And Kruger was always a guy that, you know, he had his great teams every once in a while, but he was never bad. It felt like the, you know, Oklahoma was always a competitive team in the Big 12. So we're going to miss Kruger, no doubt about that. And then Shaka Smart, I don't know if I can really say that that I'm really going to miss him. Um, reports, I'm reporting, I'm recording this at about noon on Friday. Um, so nothing is official yet, but like, you know, John Rothstein and all these accounts, Jeff Goodman are tweeting out that sources are saying that Shaka Smart is headed to Texas, or pardon me, headed to Marquette away from Texas. Uh, that's shocking. I mean, no pun intended there, but <laughs> I didn't say, I, I can't say I expected this one to happen. Um, you know, Texas had a good team this year. As much as, if I know if you've listened to the podcast before, you know I'm not a big fan of, of Shaka Smart. That doesn't mean he hasn't had success at Texas, right? This was a, a top five team just two months ago in, in the beginning of Big 12 play. They, you know, got a three seed in the big dance. I can't say I expected him to leave. 
Uh, I guess it's not too much of a surprise given how he's kind of underperformed with with all the talent he gets at Texas. And, and quite honestly, I'm I'm happy for Shaka. I mean, I, I don't hate him as a person at all. As a coach, I'm not a fan. But I think he is a lot better suited at Marquette or like we saw with VCU, how he was able to take that team to a Final Four. And in Austin, he's never won a game in March Madness. So I, I think that it's good that he's going to go find a new home maybe a new beginning. He's still a young coach, and that's why I initially was a fan of that hire because Shaka appeared to be one of the up-and-coming coaches in college basketball. Things haven't worked out in Austin. Uh, certainly going to wish him the best of luck moving forward in uh, in Marquette. And then you've got Steve Prohm. I don't know what there is to say. He won like two games over the last two years, so I think that he's there's no questioning or arguing or disputing his firing. It was like a five-point-something million-dollar buyout. That kind of speaks for itself. Um, I know there's talks about TCU, maybe a coaching change there with Jamie Dixon. Uh, and, and, of course, with K-State and Bruce Weber, um, you're, you're pulling for Brad Underwood to make a return back home if you're a Wildcat fan. We'll see what happens in the coming months. Um, May 1st is, is when Bruce Weber's buyout uh, comes, comes back by a million dollars. So we'll just see what happens there with all the coaching changes. And this is not a ideal time with, with the pandemic and COVID and everything to be in the job market. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if Bruce Weber stays around right here in Manhattan for another season or not. Uh, be sure to stay up to date with everything on Go Powercat and, of course, on Twitter at 10 of 12 Podcast. You can stay up to date with all of that coaching news. Now let's talk about the NCAA tournament here. Um, we'll we'll kind of just start it here with Kansas. I think this is the most relevant team for most listeners. If you're a K-State fan, I'm sure you... You love hearing about the Jayhawks losing, and we'll start it off with the Eastern Washington game. Uh, I, I don't know if KU had much business winning that game. I, I really don't. Uh, the Jayhawks, for 30 minutes, looked like the inferior team. I mean, Eastern Washington, I'm sure if you are a Kansas fan listening to this, you were very bothered by some of those cavemen-looking guys. I'm not trying to make fun of them. I'm just, you know, you know Twitter was having fun with those guys, so I'm sure you're frustrated with, with those guys, and... It always seems that, that whoever's KU's playing in the tournament, you go back to Northern Iowa in 2010, they had a few um, guys like that. So you, you're frustrated if you're a KU fan, but you got the win. Um, and I honestly thought that KU was going to move on to the Sweet 16 um, for a few reasons. You know, I think that the first reason is that USC didn't really scare me because I was never scared of the Pac-12. However, that take is completely flip-flopped on me. Pac-12 seems to be the best you know, conference in America. It's crazy what happened with the Pac-12. But the second reason is I thought KU was going to get their wake-up call against Eastern Washington, right? You barely squeak by a 14 seed. I thought they were going to be like, hey, we can't, you know, sleepwalk again in a big in, in a, a big dance game because we're going to get knocked if we do that again against a, a Power 5 opponent. Um, and I was wrong again. <laughs> they sleepwalked. USC ran them right out of the building. Um, and how about the Pac-12, man? It's just insane what the Pac-12 has been able to do in the big dance. Uh, the media and how much they hype up the Big 12 and the Big 10, I think, has a big impact on this. Um, and the fact that it, you know, is on the West Coast. And you've got Bill Walton, who no one wants to listen to, commentating games. And, you know, half of us are asleep by the time some of those games are tipping off. So they don't get as much recognition. And for that reason, people just write them off. It's crazy how good they've performed. Um, you talk about Oregon State, Oregon, you know, you know, UCLA, USC. They have been playing, and they've been playing good. You know, it's not like they've been hitting buzzer beaters and fluking their way to wins. They have been impressive in these games. So, Pac-12 certainly making a statement 
against Kansas. Uh, next team we'll talk about here is Texas. This is not a Pac-12 opponent that beat Texas. I honestly, I'm blanking on on the uh, conference that Abilene Christian is in. That tells you how um, unrecognizable that brand is for the Wildcats of Abilene Christian. Uh, I let's be real here. Texas didn't deserve to win this game at all, and they didn't. So I'm, I'm kind of glad that they, <laughs> they didn't get a move on. That team was miles more talented, skilled than Abilene Christian. Miles. I mean, head and shoulders, that team was so much better than Abilene Christian. Abilene Christian played terrible, too. I mean, if you watch that game, I'm just talking about hitting shots and, you know, making, you know, turning the ball over, stuff like that. Abilene Christian played terrible. But what they did do, they, they hustled, they dove for loose balls, they grabbed rebounds, they made all those plays that you need to pull off an upset, and I'm very happy for them. Joe Pleasant, who went to Northwest, uh, Blue Valley Northwest in Kansas City, hit some, some clutch free throws at the end. If you're a Texas fan listening, you're probably upset about the foul call at the end, and I understand that, that that was an iffy call at best. But you shouldn't be in that position against a 14 seed that no one's ever you know really heard of, so... I'm happy for Abilene Christian. They, of course, got rocked in the next round by, I believe that was UCLA. So that didn't last long for the Wildcats. But but Texas got humbled here, man. I said this a lot on the podcast as well. If if Texas was coached by Shaka, pardon me, by Chris Beard, Bill Self, Bob Huggins, one of those elite coaches in the Big 12, uh, that team is certainly going to be talked about in the second half of this podcast because they would still be alive at the tournament. That team would be making a run for the Final Four. If they had a better coach that could really get his guys to buy in. Shaka Smart could recruit talent. You know, he went back to back to back with Mo Bamba, um, Jackson Hayes, and, and Jericho, or and, and Jared Allen, pardon me. So there's no question he can't recruit talent. You know, Kai Jones, I think just yesterday, declared for the draft. Shaka can recruit talent. Can he get the best out of that talent? I don't think so. So it's not a shock to me that Texas lost. I had them losing in my bracket. I hate to brag, but... It doesn't surprise me at all that this team wasn't bought in in March. Um, Shaka Smart's never won, like I said earlier, never won a game in the big dance. So nothing new here to report with Texas. Next team we'll talk about, let's go Oklahoma. Um, Not much to say about this team. I do have to give them credit where credit's due. I didn't give them a single chance to beat Missouri in the first round game, especially without Davion Harmon. They found a way to get it done. um, And that's a nice, I I don't know if it's a nice send-off, but you know, you get bounced by Gonzaga, who's if not one of the you know one of the best teams in the tournament, so Kruger picked up a win against Big Twelve uh, former Big Twelve rival Mizzou, um, even without Harmon, that was impressive. And let's be real here, uh, Gonzaga. And this is kind of the case with Texas Abilene Christian. Gonzaga's head and shoulders above Oklahoma, even though they're not a Power Five team. That team, you know, Suggs, they were just going off that game. Oklahoma, they, they stuck around. I mean, in the, it was like a sixteen point, seventeen, eighteen point game. I don't remember. They the final score doesn't really tell you how competitive Oklahoma was in that game. You know, Austin Reeves picked up two fouls in the first half. If I think it was a charge call, that if that goes differently, Reeves probably sticks around for the whole game and doesn't have to worry about fouling. And he's more in a zone. Maybe Oklahoma has a chance to pull off the uh, eight nine over the one upset. So didn't happen. Gonzaga, you know, moves on. But I, I do give Oklahoma credit. I really do for the win over Mizzou. I thought that Mizzou was gonna just pounce all over them you know this was a weird game you know I think everyone's talked about it but the the fact that both of these teams were on like the it seems like the one seed line <laughs> like a month ago and then the, I, I know they were like three or four seeds but still they dip back to 
the 8-9 game. And so one team was going to have to improve. And Oklahoma was the team to improve and step up in that big game. They got, you know, they got out of the first game, but Gonzaga was just too much. So, you know, Oklahoma, I give them credit for that win. Oklahoma State, this is not a team who I really am a huge fan of. I think that they've been kind of overrated all year, and we saw that against Oregon State. Um, you know, picking up a, a win against Liberty, there was nothing impressive about that game in my eyes. Um, so, you know, you move on and you play Oregon State and you lose. I don't know how you lose to a, a 12 seed. I think Oregon State's a 12 seed. I don't have the bracket pulled up in front of me. Um, when you have the best freshman in America. I mean, how do you let that happen? You know, if you're going up against a 12 seed, shouldn't you have that one guy on your team who is the, um, you know, All-American Freshman of the Year, whatever it is, who can go out and dominate and control the game and, and, and go out and get you a win? I would think so. I mean, I would certainly think so, but that's just me. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to say Cade Cunningham's not a good player. He's an amazing talent. My point is that there's going to be someone in this class – in this draft class, that 10 years from now, people are going to look back and say, hey, we should have taken that guy or this guy or whoever it is instead of Cunningham. Because Cunningham's a fine player. I, I just think that there's someone else out there. I couldn't tell you who it is, but someone out there is going to be better than Cunningham down the line. So, you know, and I, I always have to mention it. He got outscored by a walk-on at Kansas State. Joe Petrakis outscored Kate Cunningham 6-5 to in Manhattan. How does the league's best player, pardon me, the nation's best player, let that happen? I don't know. You tell me. Oklahoma State's bounced by Oregon State. I'm not surprised by it whatsoever. Uh, next team, West Virginia. They are knocked out by the Orange of Syracuse. And I feel bad for, for Bob Huggins in West Virginia. I really do. They pretty much got, I wouldn't, I don't even, I don't know what the word is here. Buddy Bayheim just went off. Syracuse went off. And I'm, you know, I, I give them credit. They made it a game despite how good Syracuse was playing. Syracuse was not playing like an 11 seed. They were playing like a 4-5 seed. So West Virginia got kind of just tough luck running into a team that was hot. Um, I, I'm kind of surprised they got bounced by Syracuse. At the same time, though, West Virginia in the Big 12 has pretty much always been a team that's kind of disappointed in March. I'm not trying to, you know, bash Bob Huggins, but it's just kind of a, it's kind of what happens. I mean, I... Bob Huggins, I think the last time he went to like the Elite Eight was when he was at West Virginia in the Big East when they played Kentucky and lost, I believe, as a two-seed. I could be wrong on that, but it seems like this happens every year in the Big 12 where they're supposed to be really good, and then guess what? They're not. <laughs> it's as simple as that. They get one team out of seven to reach the round of 30, uh, pardon me, the Sweet 16. Six of seven made the 32. You're thinking things are going great. You know, the Big 12 started off 6-0, and oh, and then every team after that lost besides Baylor. So it's crazy how things just you know change on a dime from round to round. Last team we'll talk about here, Texas Tech. Um, this is a team that I am surprised lost. I think Tech, they should have beat Arkansas. If you watch that game, they really let it slip away at the end. Mac McClung, an 87% free throw shooter, you know, misses the front end. And then you've got and Chris Beard here. I love Chris Beard. I think Chris Beard's one of the best coaches in the Big 12. Uh, 20 years from now, he's going to be a elite coach in college basketball. I don't know if he'll be in the Big 12 or not, but Chris Beard, I love him. I love Chris Beard. There was probably 10, 15 seconds left, and, you know, the Red Raiders are down by two. You've got the basketball. You have a timeout in your back pocket, and Chris Beard's going to let him play. Okay, we'll see what happens. 
this offense had no idea what they were doing. They looked discombobulated. Um, and at that moment, there was probably six or seven seconds left. Chris Beard needed to call the timeout. Cut his losses. You don't have you know, all the time in the world, but cut your losses. You've got six or seven seconds left. Call a timeout. Get yourself a play and go out and, and tie or win this game. That's what you do. And, you know, if Chris Beard thought he had a play and is, you know, they had a play that they've practiced for months for this situation where they needed a two-point basket, then that play better be good. So either two things happened. One, he didn't have the play. Or two, he had the play and it wasn't good enough. So no matter what, that's on Chris Beard. You know, I'm, I'm sorry, Wildcat fans. Angel Rodriguez in the 2013 a big dance game against LaSalle. You know, Bruce Weber should have called a timeout there. You know, Andrew Rodriguez just drove the ball to the corner, the coffin corner, and chucked up a prayer that had no chance of going in. You know, Bruce Weber, hindsight's twenty twenty. I get that, of course, but there's moments where you just got to realize that, yeah, let's just cut our losses. We lost some time, but let's call a timeout because there's no way we're going to get anything going here. So I applaud Texas Tech for their efforts. I really do. I'm disappointed they lost. I was rooting for them. Um, I think that, you know, Mac McClung sucks to see him, you know, be done at college. But Chris Beard's a, a great example of what you can do with the transfer portal. He utilizes it as well as anyone in the nation. And Bruce Weber, anyone needs to take note of what he does uh, because he, I don't know if they would even be, I'd, they'd be in the tournament, but they'd be an 8-9 game if they didn't have Mac McClung. So that was a big get for Chris Beard. Tough to see them get bounced by Arkansas. Uh, and that's pretty much it for the first half. We'll talk about Baylor in the second half. Of course, Brady Vaughn from gradschoolsports.net will join the show to digest everything that happened between Baylor's 16 seed game as well as that win over Wisconsin. So stay tuned after a quick break here on the 10 of 12 podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Second half of the show coming your way as Brady Vaughn joins the show from gradschoolsports.net. Brady, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about yourself, Ryan? I'm doing good. Thank you. I appreciate you coming on here uh, to talk some Baylor basketball with us. Before we talk about Baylor, though, I know you're a lifelong KU fan. How upsetting was that to see your Jayhawks lose on, uh, what was that? Was that Monday? 
Uh, honestly, I've kind of put that game in the rearview mirror. So, <laughs> yeah. Yes, I do believe it was Monday night. Um, but I will say that uh, for those of you who have Twitter and uh, are maybe more analytically driven or analytically thinking, um, there is a good account called Shot Quality. It's literally just uh, it's Shot underscore Quality on Twitter. Um, what they do is they kind of, after a bunch of, bunch of these games, they, uh, kind of determine, Hey, based on like their, their quality of each team's shots, who would win, you know, a certain percentage of the time. And what was so weird was that, uh, they said like, they came out after they tweeted out, uh, after the KU versus USC game and said that based on the quality of shots, each team would win 50% of the time. And I was like, dude, that did not seem like a 50, 50 split. <laughs> not at all. Simply given the fact that this year's KU team is not good at shooting the basketball, which breaking news, you need to be good at in order to win. <laughs> yeah. Uh, pretty simple there, isn't it? <laughs> that's, um, that's about as simple as I can put it. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about Baylor low here for, for most of the second half. Um, you pick up a win over a 16 seed and then get the win over Wisconsin in the 8-9 matchup. The only Big 12 team to, uh, I guess before we get into Baylor again, let's talk about the Big 12. How shocked are you that there's only one Big 12 team um, in the second weekend? I'm a little shocked, to be honest. I definitely thought – I definitely thought OSU would get it done um, versus Oregon State. I thought I thought Avery Anderson and Cade Cunningham and Likely and all those boys would find a way to scrap out a win against Oregon State, who I did not pick to beat Tennessee in the first matchup. I thought Oregon State was just kind of coming in limping and not necessarily putting, like, their best foot forward. You know, I know they cut, they got hot in the Pac-12 tournament, but I think everyone – or much, to, much like everyone else in the country, I kind of just thought, uh, well, you know, it's the Pac-12, like, who's – actually good from the Pac-12. Well, clearly we now know that USC, Colorado, UCLA, Oregon State, apparently they were all legit. Um, but definitely definitely a little upsetting that OSU didn't advance a little further. Um, I'm not super surprised by West Virginia or UT losing. Maybe I should say a little surprised from UT losing just simply because of the fact that it was an in-state school, Abilene Christian, 314 upset. I definitely like if you would have told me that UT wouldn't have made it out of the first weekend, I would have been like, oh, okay. So they probably lost in the second round to like Michigan State or BYU or something like that. So, but I definitely, I guess, a little surprising they went out in the first round. But uh, yeah, Shaka Smart still has yet to win an NCAA tournament game while at Texas. So, uh, but I'd say those are those are some of the ones that I was um, kind of keeping my eye on. Wasn't really super surprised that KU got bounced by USC. Um, and quite frankly, I uh, kind of expected, like, I will not, I don't say quite frankly, but everyone, I feel like everyone and their mother expected Baylor to get to this point. Um, so mm-hmm. we'll see. I don't know. Tech kind of blew it. Really thought that they were about to beat Arkansas. Um, yeah. You just got to, I mean, it's just, that's just unlucky, man. You get two open layups, you get an 80, like 81% free throw shooter going to the line for a one and one and he misses. Yeah. That's, that's just tough luck. So. Mm-hmm. Let's we'll switch gears here. Talk about Baylor uh, picking up the win over Hartford in the first round and then Wisconsin, the nine seed in the second round. How do you assess the bears performance uh, in their first two games? I think, uh, I think the Hartford game um, for a lot of it, uh, was kind of good to just to see okay like 
obviously like last year's Baylor team was probably before this year it even started last year's Baylor team was going to be the best team like that they had had. They had like five or six weeks straight of being ranked number one. And then you have the best season, then boom, COVID happens. You don't get the tournament. So people are feeling a little, little down, you know, Hey, they come back, they start off 18 and 0 this year. Um, and entering the tournament, you know, they're the number two overall seed just behind Gonzaga. Um, so I kind of felt like this Hartford game was, I don't want to say like anyone was nervous. Like it was a one, it's still a one sixteen game, 16 seeds have only ever won once shout out Virginia. Um, but, but, uh, <clears throat> I will say like, I, me personally, I kind of was like, okay, I want to see some slight improvements on the defensive end, especially with, you know, communications, some of the rotations, some of the help side defenders, because ever since Baylor had started their COVID or came, come off their COVID pause, um, they started with game, a home game against Iowa State, then went to KU or went at KU and then played at West Virginia. They went two and three in those games, um, but barely beat Iowa State by three at home, lost to KU um, like 71-58 on the road and then beat West Virginia in overtime on the road to clinch the Big 12 regular season. Um, so I think those games was kind of like, a, okay, let's get the rust off a little bit. Um, and granted, they did lose in the, in the Big 12 tournament to Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State played fantastic in that game. Cade Cunningham was outstanding. And uh, Baylor, there was a couple of couple of key possessions, a couple of you know, miscues on the defensive end in terms of rotations and whatnot. So just really on the defensive end was where I was like, okay, like I want to see if these guys are able to communicate as well as they did before the COVID pause. Um, Cause if you go to Ken Palm's defensive efficiency numbers right now, um, Baylor is, <clears throat> let's see, I'm trying to pull it up real quick. Uh, Baylor is number 37 in, a, in adjusted defense, defensive efficiency in hmm. the nation. And uh, before the COVID pause, like that was not at all the case. They yeah. were, significantly better you could clearly you could tell just from watching that these guys were locked in um and a couple of the games after the pause you know it helped it hurt them a little bit but that's by by at this point in time that's not a that's not a valid excuse for them they've had plenty of games under their belt um so the Hartford game I was really I was really impressed with the way that they were able to to continue uh, to show improvement on that end you know Davion Mitchell's always been a great on-ball defender apparently uh Mike Schmitz of ESPN called Davion Mitchell potentially the best on-ball defender he's ever scouted, hmm. uh, which is definitely saying something. Um, so, and I've always felt like, you know, the individual defense is there. Like guys like – you can put guys like Davion on anyone. You can put Mark Vidal on someone. And, you know, you're you're going to get, one, a tremendous effort, and, two, a tremendous effort is going to lead to a pretty – pretty special performance on the defensive end because that's one thing that travels well. I mean, sometimes shots don't fall – uh, sometimes, you know, it's, you can communication gets miss gets messed up. But one thing that you can always count on is like a man on man, like one-on-one def- defense. Like if you're like Davion Mitchell will 100% be a great defender, no matter where you put him, even if, even if his shots are falling, same thing for Mark Vidal. Um, so the thing that I was re- most encouraged is just seeing their team defense improve in the Hartford game. So 
Moving forward, Baylor uh, playing Villanova in the Sweet 16. What would you say that team's biggest weakness is um, as of right now? I think that that was the best team in the country. And then COVID kind of hit, hit them in Waco and gave them some issues. And like you mentioned, with kind of the defensive numbers, they've looked kind of iffy as of late. What is their biggest, um, their biggest issue they need to kind of correct if they want to make a run at the Final Four over these next two games, potentially? Well, I'd say um, – one of Baylor's biggest weaknesses, I think, is traditionally has been there, at least uh, more so this year than last year. Last year, we had Freddie Gillespie. But uh, this year, I'd say that um, the post-defense post is not um, particularly great. I think when they, can, when they had success against better post guys, um, they were playing Mark Vidal or – um, Davion Mitchell or whoever was say off ball um, and, and off ball and helps side, they would always be there. Say for example, if uh, like last year when Baylor won at Allen field house, they, uh, they always fronted uh, Yudoka Azabuke in the post and they always had Mark vital and help side defense. So whenever Kansas tried to lob it over the top to Doke, vital would always be there to come strip the pass away for an easy steal. And whenever guys have been fronting the post, that's the traditional defense that Baylor's been playing. Um, but this year, you don't have a guy like Freddie Gillespie who um, has experience, you know, in the post. Um, or quite frankly, like Freddie Gillespie is just better, in my opinion, than Flo Thamba and Jonathan Tachamwa Tachachua or Everyday John, um, as coined by Fran Frischilla. Um So I think – Post-defense is something that scares me a little bit. Um, so in terms of going up, like you said, their next matchup in the Sweet 16 is Villanova. You got a guy coming in like Jeremiah Robinson Earl who can he can certainly back you down. He's got a nice arsenal of post moves. But then you can also take you out and hit a jump shot and hit a three every once in a while. So, you know, I think if, uh, if Baylor's if – Baylor, if you told me that right now that Baylor's going to lose to Villanova, I would say that Jeremiah Robinson Earl has to be an extremely big part of that um, because Baylor as, <clears throat> as a whole, um, their opponents are shooting four, or 48% from two and about 33.7% from three, which, you know, uh, those aren't like any – great numbers which means that you know their defense is playing pretty well i'd say shooting holding a team to you know 33 percent from three-point line is pretty good um and then anything under i'd say anything relatively close to or under 50 percent from two is not bad especially when most of the teams in the big 12 are trying to get shots at the rim um, but yeah i think jeremiah robinson earl has got to be a big factor um I would be a lot more scared if Colin Gillespie um, did not injure himself and was still there for Villanova. Um, for those who don't know, Colin Gillespie is their senior point guard. I think he tore his MCL. Does that sound right? Your guess is as good as mine, honestly. I just know he's injured. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know. I just know that he did something in his knee. Mm -hmm. um, pray for a speedy recovery from him. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I – I, I would be a lot more scared um, if he were in the game. Now, Villanova did knock down a lot of shots um, in, in their second-round matchup. Uh, who's that against? North Texas. So, uh, if Villanova's shooting the ball like that, anyone can win. I mean, three-pointers are – that's 
hundred percent the key to upset in modern college basketball, in my opinion. So this is all subject to change, but if Nova's hot, then you can throw all the stats out the window. Mm-hmm. Who is um who's who's the biggest player that that Baylor needs to step up in this game? Is it like you you talked about with the post defense and Flo Thalman needs to step up, or is it you know Macy Oteague needs to hit those shots, or or Jared Butler to be the leader that he is? Who's the most uh, no pun intended here vital player for Baylor? I'd say uh, the most important players for Baylor going forward. I think if you're gonna go ahead and pick out, okay, what is Baylor good at? Just like from a whole as a whole on a, as you're just looking at the team as a whole, well, their guard play is certainly the best part of their team, both on the offense and defense. Um, so if you're going to, if you're going to sit here and say, Hey, who's most important for Baylor? It's, I don't know if it's any one particular guy. Um, obviously you've got your three headed tandem of uh, Teague Butler and Mitchell in the backcourt. Um, they obviously need to have a good game, but I'm going to, I'm going to say that if, if we're going to have to choose like, like the most important guys, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of cheat the system a little bit. I'm going to say it's got to be Ma- Matthew Meyer and Adam Flagler off the bench. Adam Meyer, our guy. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Matt Meyer, man. Uh, you know that, uh, we, we all know that Meyer can be a little bit up and down, um, uh-huh. certainly has his you know, sports in our top 10 moment plays and certainly has his not top 10 moments. Um, But I'd say uh, both of those guys need to be contributing in the, on the offensive end at some point. Um, And then maybe a little bit more so um, than the defensive end. I think Meyer, Meyer can, I don't, I neither Flagler nor Meyer's defense, you know, is, um, is going to be what sticks out to you. They're both very serviceable and obviously Scott Drew has proven to have some good defenses over the years. So it's not like they're getting, it's not like they have a bad coach on defense. Um, but I will say that uh, they need to step up on the offensive end at some point, because if they're not doing anything, then defenses can start to key in a little bit and make life a little bit harder um, for guys like Butler, for guys like Mitchell, um, for guys like T, like especially with Butler and Mitchell being the main um, creators on offense, they can kind of not to say T can't get his own shot. Uh, you can go look up at plenty of highlights of T doing a bunch of dribble moves, hitting some floaters. Um, but point being is he doesn't handle the ball as much as mm-hmm. Butler or Mitchell. And this, so they can certainly cr- and are more accustomed to creating their own shot um, as opposed to T. But if Meyer and Flagler aren't hitting or doing anything, um, super significant on the offensive end off the bench, then I'd say um, it's going to be a little bit easier for defenses to key in on uh, some of, some of Baylor's main starters in the backcourt because, and this is, this is honestly, it's not like a super big problem because Baylor's as Fran Frischilla said, Baylor has more guards than Buckingham palace. Um, (laughs) So, I mean, it's not like, this is kind of like a quote unquote first world problem, you know, like, Oh, Baylor's got five really good guards on their team. You know, as long as two or three of them are hitting and doing relatively well, Baylor's probably going to win the game. You know, it's so it's going to take a perfect storm. I feel like for Baylor to for Baylor's guards collectively to not play well and for them to lose. Um, But obviously, like it's going to make life so much easier um, if Meyer and Flagler are hitting their shots and playing well um, and at least contributing a little bit on the defensive end. 
let me just ask you straight up here. Do you think Baylor picks up a W against Villanova and then against either Arkansas or Oral Roberts? Do you think that they'll pick up two wins and go to the Final Four? I think so. Um, in my original bracket, I had I had Gonzaga and Baylor in the national championship game. I had Gonzaga winning, I think, by like 83 to 79. Um, so still have my title game alive. <laughs> Uh, three of the four teams that I have in the final four are still alive. My uh, Midwest region with Illinois is just completely trash. Uh, I picked Illinois to go to the final four rip. Um, but I will say a shout out Cameron Crutwig and Loyola. Those guys are, those guys are insane and really, really good. Uh, but I do think that Baylor picks up a win against Villanova. Um, I do think it can be, it has the potential to be a lot harder than some of my um, friends here think. Um, a lot of people we've been talking about, um, just my friends down here at Baylor, we've been talking a little bit about how um, low-key some of us were more afraid of Wisconsin or North Carolina than we were for any potential um, Sweet 16 or Elite 8 matchup. Um, I will say, though, Villanova uh, is the number – on Ken Palm's site, they are the number six-rated offense in the country in terms of adjusted efficiency. <laughs> so um, that's – something that Baylor hasn't had to, you know, encounter a whole lot this year, you know, the, the outside of outside of West Virginia, um, who's, I know they're out of the tournament, but they're the number 11th rated offense in terms of offensive efficiency this year. Um, Baylor has not played a ton of teams that are particularly great on the offensive end um, outside of, you know, West or outside of West Virginia and Illinois. Um, I actually don't even know where Illinois ranks or not even, it's taken a while for me to find Illinois. I don't even need to find them. Anyways, uh, oh, no, I guess, yeah, I missed them. They're right here at number nine. So outside of West Virginia and Illinois, um, Baylor hasn't played a ton of great offensive teams. Um, so I think it's going to be really interesting to see how Villanova tries to dissect and attack uh, this Baylor's no-middle defense. Um, but – and as, as like you kind of alluded to earlier – as uh, my background being a KU fan, I absolutely hate playing Jay Wright in March. I think he's maybe the only coach in the world that like legitimately gives Bill Self problems on a consistent basis. Um, or at least that just seems that way. Or if they're uh, just on fire from free. <laughs> or, yeah, you know, you just roll up to San Antonio and hit 13 threes in the first half. Whatever. <laughs> not, not salty about it still. Um, <laughs> but – uh, but yeah, you know, Villanova, they're clearly a dynamic offensive team. Um, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see how they come about this, but <clears throat> yeah. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to say, you know, Baylor's going to lose. I still think Baylor wins. I'll probably, I haven't seen a line or a spread yet. Um, I'll probably take Baylor by like seven ish, six ish, seven ish off the top of my head. Um, Cause I know, Two, both teams are electric on offense, but one is clearly way better or has the potential to be way better on defense than the other. So I'll lean with Baylor in that one. Then um, in any potential Elite Eight matchup, love the ORU story. Um, I think Arkansas takes care of them because if ORU is in the Elite Eight, it, good night. Baylor's going to go to the Final Four automatically. Yep. Or maybe not automatically, but I feel very, very, very confident in that one. Um, and then – but if they happen to play Arkansas, um, I feel like 
guys like J.D. Note um, for Arkansas or <clears throat> Moses Moody, obviously, they could give Baylor some problems. But I'll, I don't think any any team that remains um, in Baylor's region out of the three remaining ones, I don't think any of them, you know, like I'm not staying up at night thinking about how in the world Baylor's going to beat these guys. We'll wrap it up with this and talk about the final four. You mentioned you've got Baylor and Gonzaga in your own bracket. And then I didn't catch who you had in the East region. Um, who do you have right now? Pardon me? Florida State. Gotcha. Oh, nice little hot take there. And then Illinois, that's kind of just down the toilet. But after watching these, the, the first weekend of games, do you still like uh, Gonzaga and Florida State? And then who do you have out of Illinois' bracket? What's your, what's your current final four um, <clears throat> that you would pick it right now today? I'd, uh, I'm, st- I'm sticking with Gonzaga and Baylor. Um, okay. If I had to alter it a little bit, uh, I'd probably end up putting Houston. I was a little skeptical of Houston coming into the tournament just because they played in the AAC. I know the computers yeah. love them a lot. Like they have, Ken Palm has Houston rated as the number four overall team in the country right now. Um, I was like, yeah, but, you know, I don't really know who, who Houston's played a whole lot there. You know, they played, they played tech early in the year. They lost Wichita state who's an 11 seed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, their conference wasn't particularly great, but they've <clears throat> kind of put it to the teams that they've been playing in the tournament. I know it's, it's hard to win in March, no matter who you play. Um, so the fact that they're still remaining um, proves that they're, they're a pretty good team and uh, I'll probably end up taking them versus Loyola and the elite eight. I think Loyola will, I think they'll get by Oregon State, um, and I'll take I'll take Houston to come out of that region. But then um, in terms of the other region, you know, I don't know, man. It's I feel like Alabama. Alabama could. I think I'll I'll probably change my pick to them because on any given night, they like well, for Alabama just as a team and whole they 53% of their shots as a team come from behind the three point line, which literally means they are living by the three or they are dying by the three as you mm-hmm. always poked fun at Iowa state for doing that over the years. Oh yeah. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, I think if Bama's, if Bama's hitting their shots, if they're locked in, I'll take them. And if I had to make a, if I had to adjust my pick, I'd probably take Bama to come out of that region. Um, but you know, I'm still just, I'm, I still would not be surprised if, uh, you know, Florida state Leonard Hamilton's got a really good team that he's coaching down there. So I wouldn't be surprised if they came out of that region at all. And I'm not picking Michigan, Michigan, just cause I think Isaiah livers injury. I don't know his status. If he ends up coming back in any capacity, that changes things a whole lot for me my opinion, just because Michigan's the number three rated team in Ken Palm, but without Isaiah Livers, I just don't know if they can, uh, if they're going to be able to match up against someone like Alabama, if, if Alabama's hitting their shots. So, Well, Brady, I appreciate you coming on here and talking uh, not only Baylor, but man, a lot of uh, NCAA talk as well. Uh, where can people check out you and your work? Yeah. Hey, um, I, I, uh, pretty active on Twitter try to interact with guys like Ryan, try to interact with a lot of different guys on NCAA or that cover the NCAA college hoops. Um, so you can follow me on Twitter at Brady Vaughn 30. Um, I also <clears throat> try to publish some articles on a website called grad school sports. Um, although most of those, most of the articles I've written for them um, have been more about uh, the NFL or uh, particularly <clears throat> uh, the Kansas city chiefs or me and Ryan's hometown. Um, yeah. But also talked a little bit about the big 12 conference as a whole 
um, for basketball and for football. Um, so you can check that out on gradschoolsports.net. Um, and then uh, I will say though, that's some of our, uh, some of the dudes that are involved in that now that they have full-time jobs, it's getting a little hard to consistently publish some stuff. So uh, might not be a whole lot more new content coming out soon, but you know, I always love to write stuff for free. I always love to hop on on Ryan's pod, talk with you guys, talk with Ryan about, NCAA basketball, football, literally whatever, whatever Ryan wants me to talk about. So. Yeah. Appreciate you uh, coming on here, dude. And hopefully we stay in touch and maybe somewhere in a week or two from now, we're talking about a Baylor final four run or, or even that, or pardon me, even, uh, even getting a natty, if that's possible. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'd love to love to come back on in a week or so. If, if we get to that spot mm-hmm. or, you know, if, if we don't, then that's whatever else I'll, I'll still come on and talk Baylor if you want me to. <laughs> Yeah, talking about a loss. Come on now. Don't don't have that mindset. <laughs> I'm just happy to talk hoops no matter what. Yeah, it's always a good time, man. <laughs> well, once again, Brady Vaughn from gradschoolsports.net. Be sure to go check him out. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at 10 of 12 podcast. I'd appreciate that very much. You can stay up to date with everything going on around the league. But for Cole Carmody, Brady Vaughn, I'm Ryan Gilbert. Thank you so much for spending part of your day listening to this episode of the 10 of 12 podcast.